Good morning, church. Like Justin said, it is a very exciting Sunday for us. We had breakfast, and then uh, I get to preach, and then afterwards we're going to have baptisms. We are just elated for this morning. Um, let me just take a quick second and just pause and say who I am. Uh, I might be an unfamiliar face to you. If that's so, let's change that after the service. My name's Craig. Uh, I am the associate pastor here at Stone Oak. If I have not met you yet, I am sorry. Come grab me after service. I would love to meet with you uh, if you like to eat, which I think everybody does. Feel free to join my wife and I for lunch. It'll probably be Alamo Cafe. That's kind of our go-to spot. So if you enjoy Tex-Mex and you want to get to know me, feel free to come and join us. Uh, we've been in the book of Ephesians now uh, since about the, the end or kind of the, towards the end of the summer. Um, we've been walking through the text chapter by chapter and verse by verse. This is kind of the standard way that we uh, decide to approach the text. Uh, let me just give a, a quick overview of just the last two weeks. So two weeks ago, uh, Justin was kind of walking us through the text, and uh, he presented us that we are to walk in a manner worthy of our call. And then last week, we, we discussed this idea of maturing in our faith, of growing in Christ, that we shouldn't be like children, uh, but we instead should, should be towards the mature man. Paul's going to continue these themes today with our text. There's a trend that's happening today, a trend that's happening uh, predominantly in a younger generation. Um, and I know you're thinking I'm going someplace theological. I'm not. Hold on. A trend that's happening in house decorating. I know this because I've experienced it firsthand, okay? Uh, this, this trend has many different titles, uh, everything from salvaging to reclaimed to junking um, to whatever else you want to call this. And what it really is, is if you are over the age of 70, what we do is we take all the stuff that you grew up with and we hang it on our wall, Okay. <laughs> So pretty much anything that your parents would have used, cooking or cleaning, anything like that, uh, my generation has decided, hey, that would look great if I stuck it on a wall. So in my house, uh, in our laundry room now, my wife has started a washboard collection. We're up to four of them now. Uh, and we don't use them as a washboard at all, but it signifies this is our laundry room and this is what we used to wash with, but now we're decorating with it because we have our washing machines here. So this picture here, you're thinking, wow, I have no idea what that is. Good, because nobody else does either. It's simply just wood. But what this is, is out front, my wife and I, have, we moved into our house a little over a year ago, summer of, of last year. And if you look at our house, there's now just a big open area where there's like this vine that continues to grow, and there's no way I have found to kill it. Uh, but the reason that vine is there is because there used to be a large arbor. And this arbor had the vines that, of course, whenever they originally, I'm sure, put the, the arbor in with the vines, the intent was that the, the vines would then grow over the arbor and provide some nice shade. Whenever we bought the house, that was not the case at all, though. The arbor was still there, kind of. You could see the bottom of it, but the vines had grown into like a, not, not joking here, probably six foot tall above the arbor that were then climbing onto the house, climbing onto the tree behind the arbor, and climbing onto the neighbor's house as well. This is the arbor, okay? It got destroyed within the first probably two months of, of us living there. We were both like, I don't know what this is. I don't see a purpose for it. 
And so we took it down and just had a bunch of wood then just laying around. And my wife said, hey, I want to hang that on the wall. And so I didn't understand it, but I was like, okay, let's, let's hang this on the wall. So that's how you walk into our house. Our front door is immediately to the right there. And this is one of the first items that you see. Uh, Wendy and I, when we first got married, took a uh, financial class with Dave Ramsey. Well, some of the best advice I got out of that class was, gentlemen, you don't have to get it. You just have to get it. <laughs> you don't have to understand the purpose for it. You just have to say, okay, and get it. You don't have to get it. You just have to get it. That's the kind of the idea of the salvaging, the junking, um, the washboards that are now on my, my wall of my, my laundry room. I don't understand it, but that's okay. They're serving a different purpose now. The washboard was not created so that it can hang on the wall. The washboard was created so that you can actually wash on it. It now has a different use, though. Its purpose has been changed. It's still the same elements. It's just the use is a little bit different now. Look at our text here. Paul begins, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Paul's writing here to a Gentile audience. Let me read that again, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. He's writing to the Gentiles, and yet he's saying, hey, Gentiles, don't be like the Gentiles. That's a very confusing statement. If I can kind of put it into a modern translation, be like, hey, Americans no longer walk as Americans. That's Paul's point here. There's a difference. He's saying, walk as the people of God that you are now, not as the Gentiles as you were. It's the same for us today. As Christians, there should be a noticeable difference between us and the world. Paul is getting at that point here. Walk as Americans, except... You're not really Americans. Walk instead as Christians. Are you looking different? Is there a difference in the way that you are perceived or not? Are you walking as the Americans or is there a difference in you? By walking not as Americans and by walking first as Christians, we join in the unity that is found throughout the gospel. It's one of the things I really realized whenever Justin and I this past summer got to go to Ethiopia. In Ethiopia, a very different culture. Uh, everything that you would think would be typical of Ethiopia was not for me. It wasn't the uh, kind of African safari that I was thinking of. It wasn't super hot weather all the time. It wasn't uh, people who are just, uh, just around each other and just needing the gospel. There was a love for one another. There was a, a gospel understanding. These people walked as I today walk. There was a unity among us, even though our cultures were very different. They weren't walking as Ethiopians. They were walking as Christians first. As so, we then are ambassadors. As first holding up the banner of Christ, we then are representing someone and something. We're walking holding the banner of Christ before we hold any banner of any nation or any, any upbringing. That's what Paul's saying here. Gentiles. Don't walk as the Gentiles. That's the big question of why. What is it about their upbringing? What is it about their understanding of who they are that, that Paul says don't walk in this way? If we continue reading, verse 18, they're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They become callous. 
They've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. They're darkened. They're alienated. There's ignorance. There's a hardness of heart. They're callous. There's sensuality. There's greed. There's impurities. This is not a good list. This is not the, the I want to be on this list. This is not the list that you're going to use to say, please describe me in this way. It's not that type of a list. In fact, it's, it's counter then. It's the opposite of. It's the opposite of the way that the people of God should walk, the way the people of God should be. We see this in a number of texts. If you turn back a couple pages, Galatians 5, beginning in verse 19, lists it out again. It's similar. He adds a couple of things in there, but it's the same idea. These are the way that people used to walk. If you look in the same, the same book, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, the same idea that this is the old manner. This is the way that we used to walk. But it changes here. Pause for a second with me, though. Oftentimes when we hear a list like this or we see things like this, we often think of those. Justin's mentioned this the past two weeks. We often think of those that are outside the church when oftentimes we fall into this category as well. That there are many of these issues which we still struggle with, that we still have to deal with. Continue with me in the text, verse 20. But, very important, but that is not the way you learned Christ. This isn't what you know. This isn't what you have seen. Paul is transitioning here. This is counter to what Christ is. This is counter to what you have learned. He takes it a step further. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Assuming you have heard these things. It's kind of like whenever you say, hey, I was going to say this, and then you actually do say it. It's kind of like he's doing that, assuming, but then I'm not going to assume it. I'm actually going to explain it. That's what Paul does here. He says, assuming you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. He doesn't assume here. I think oftentimes we do the, the misdeed of assuming salvation, which becomes a big issue. Within the church, we assume salvation quite often. We assume that coming to church is salvation. It is not. Church attendance is not salvation. Our text is very clear about what salvation is. Assuming you've heard about him and are taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. This is what Paul is pointing to. This is salvation. Salvation is Christ upon the cross. That Christ came in the the form of a man, lived a perfect life, died a perfect death in my place. This is what Paul is refusing to assume. He's not going to assume salvation. He is constantly going to proclaim the gospel even until the last days of his life. In a short while, we get the great opportunity of walking out here into the common area in the middle and baptizing people. What we are doing as a church and what these individuals are doing is making a public profession of that faith. They're saying, I have placed my trust in Christ and I want you all to see and to hold me accountable for the decision that I have made. This is a huge step. We as a church can never assume salvation. We constantly need to be proclaiming the gospel, not only to those, but also to ourselves. Never forget the price that that Christ has paid upon the cross. I'd love to talk with you afterwards, after the service, if you are interested in hearing anything else about that or baptism. That decision has been made, though, If there is a a trust and and an understanding of the truth that is in Jesus, Paul continues on here. 
He says, to put off your old self. He's given us a command here. Put off your old self. The old self is corrupt. The old self is, uh, he, he's defining the old self based upon what we see in the, the first couple of verses up here from 17 through 19. That is the old self. And he continues on. Put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Two things he's given us so far. If this is true, if you believe in the truth of Christ, one, put off the old self. Two, be renewed. It's the process of sanctification. We are justified through Christ's death, and now we're on the process of sanctification, of becoming more like Christ. What's interesting here is the word to be renewed, it's passive. It's not an active word. Your salvation was not earned by you, and your salvation in your process of becoming more like Christ is not an action you can do within yourself. It is dependent upon the Holy Spirit. It is dependent upon God. So to put on the new self now, remove the old self, be renewed in your mind, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Remove the old tattered garments and place upon yourself the new. There is a change. This should be evident. Paul is contracting old and new. There is a difference here. To place on the new self is, is a process here. Oftentimes we place on the new and then we forget the new has been placed on. Continue to live within the new self. Look back on your life within the past year. Just think with me. One year ago, where were you? Have you experienced growth? Has there been a, a growth within Christ? There should be a change from then until now. We are all on this journey of sanctification. What are you doing to become more like Christ? How are you living in the new self? Do you continue to strive and to seek the old, or are you continuing to grow in the new? Oftentimes, whenever you go to a, a church leadership uh, retreat or a conference or you read books on church leadership, they oftentimes give you some very practical things that, that you can do as a leader. Uh, being a leader within the church is one of the tough positions because you're constantly, Justin is constantly up here proclaiming the word to us. One of the problems with that is who's then proclaiming the word to him? It's, it's a problem where very many, there are quite a few pastors feel very isolated uh, because they don't have others speaking into their lives. And so what they suggest you do is you have a one-up and one-down mentality. That uh, every church leader should have one person above them who is mentoring them, who is guiding them, who they are accountable to, who they are saying, hey, here's what I'm struggling with. Someone who's usually a little bit more seasoned than they are. And they also have the one-down mentality, that you are also working individually with people, that you are then taking them on this process of sanctification with you. It's a process of discipleship. One, you are discipling, and two, you are being discipled. I think we do ourselves a disservice, though, by defining this only to church leadership. This is something that I think is, is needed within the church, a one-up and a one-down method. Just take a second. 
Think of somebody that is a couple steps ahead of you. Somebody that you would love to just sit down and have dinner with just because you think, you know what? I want to hear what they think of this. I want them to, to be able to bounce some ideas off of them. Also think of somebody who's maybe a couple steps behind you on the road, possibly a newer Christian, possibly someone who has uh, just a brand new family as your family has kind of been developed. Think of this one up and one down method. Now don't just think of that. You're now on the hook for that. Discipleship needs to occur. And one of the best ways for discipleship to occur is in a one-on-one method. This is my heart. This is my passion. I love to see the process of discipleship occur. I'm speaking you from the heart. This is something that I have had the great opportunity of men in my life who have spoken into me. And I now have the great opportunity of speaking into other men. It's something I really enjoy. Uh, It's hard. It's difficult. There are many times where it's uncomfortable. There are many times where I cannot be selfish. Whenever that individual says, hey, I'm a very busy person, and the only time I have to meet is 5 a.m., it's a, you know what, that stinks. But, okay, you know why? Because the process is worth it. I'm willing to make that sacrifice. The, the excuse that we have no time is exactly that, and it's an ex- excuse. Our priorities can change. I suggest you look for that one up and one dead down method. If this happens within the church, the church has changed forever. Growth happens in a, an experiment, ex, a big way. It happens, it happens in a really big way. Uh, put on the new self. Grow in Christ. Let me answer the question you've all been, been wondering about. This. There's a fireman's jacket on stage, and I have no idea why it's up there. If you're listening to the podcast, you listen to it online, uh, standing next to me is a fireman's jacket. This is actually one of our, our members here at church at Stone Oak is a fireman. Uh, he is, his wife works over in children's ministry. She's our t- children's director. So Preston, this is his actual jacket. I told him I'm disappointed, though, because it doesn't reek like fire. I expected it to have like a super smoky, like just gross carcinogenic smell, and it doesn't. And I'm a little disappointed in that, but that's okay because he said it's got to be clean and everything like that. And I'm kind of glad or else it'd probably make the whole room smell like it and combine that with the smell of breakfast we have just occurred and it could be terrible. This is the new jacket. This is the new self. Would it make sense for me to just place this jacket on though and immediately go to a fire? No, it wouldn't. Why? Because I have no training. I have no experience. Would it make sense for me to just rename this jacket? This is no longer a fireman's jacket. This is now my HEB jacket. That every time I go grocery shopping, I'm going to grab this heavy, thick, lined jacket, and I'm going to put it on, and I'm going to go push the cart through HEB. Makes no sense, right? Why? Because that is not what that jacket has been designed to do. Actually, that's counter to what that jacket has been designed to do. This jacket helps to equip you to fight fires. This jacket is made in a specific way, from what I've been told, that it can not catch on fire. That's a good thing, that it repels fire. And I was just talking to Preston this morning, it's got an inner and an outer layer. And between these inner and outer layers, there's a membrane, which then takes any steam that is occurring, because the dude is sweating underneath this thing, and it's hot, and it then pushes it out so he's not burning himself with any kind of steam. 
It's designed and equipped for you to fight fires. I can't simply put on this jacket and then call myself a firefighter. It doesn't work that way. This jacket doesn't give me the training needed. There's training that needs to occur in order for me to truly be a firefighter. It's a start, but there should be growth that occurs with this. I need to grow in my skills with this jacket. I need to understand this jacket a little bit better. The same is true for the new self. Put it on and be ready. Grow in that new self. Some of you might be in this room and have no idea of even where to begin. Where do I begin with this new self idea? Let's take a a look a little bit further here in the text. Paul here gives us some do's and do nots. This is not an exhaustive list, but it is a great starting point for us. Let me read over them. I'm going to read verses 25 through 32 here. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. Then he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Did you hear the overall theme that is found in there? There's an overall theme that, that Paul is continuing here. It's the idea of unity within community. The idea that we are unified and we have a process of being unified, that we need to strive to be unified in community. These are things that cannot be done in isolation. If they are, it's very weird. Be angry. Don't be angry at yourself. I can't think of very few times where I've ever been angry at myself. Give no opportunity to the devil. Um, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Craig, I'm about to have some corrupting talk with you right now. That's odd. This is done in community. The process here that he is pointing to is community. I think he summarizes it really well in verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Growth in Christ happens the best when we are in community. This is a church that's very tough to hide in. I've heard this said a number of times from people. It's designed that way. We don't want a church of people that are able to come and just sit in a pew and never grow. It's one of the reasons we place such a high emphasis upon community groups. We do this because we understand that life happens outside of the hours, the hour and a half that we have on Sunday morning. There's a whole lot more that occurs within your life besides the setting that occurs here on Sunday. And so what we decide to do then is to get together outside of this time. We do that through community groups. Community is scary, though. Community is one of those things that we're not really eager to jump into. Yeah, there's friendships that usually occur within it, and yeah, there, there are great bonds that usually occur within it, but it can be tough. True community at times can hurt. The majority of us are probably scared to, to walk into that type of community. Let me demonstrate community to you. In my house, we have a house with multiple rooms. 
If you come to my house and you walk into that very first room, uh, it is set up nice, generally. It's, got, uh, it's where my office is, and we have a couple of couches in there, some bookshelves. Usually of all the rooms within my house, it's typically the most clean. Why? Because it's the first one that you enter. I want your first impression of my house to be a positive one. So this is my front room. If you are like us, that's where the not-so-good friends stop, is in that front room. If you come to my house and you are selling me anything, if you're a solicitor, you're only going to see that room. You're going to see the nice side of my house. This is community, but it's a false community or a fake community. It is not the true community. If you want to see true community, go into my backyard. My backyard, it's terrible right now. We have mounds of, of leaves. We have trees that are cut down. I have a, a half-destroyed shed. I have what should be grass is now rocks and dirt. If you want to see true community, come into my garage. My garage is not the cleanest of areas. There are tools which have not been put away. There are areas that I wish you wouldn't really see because it's my garage. That's true community, though. Within true community, we get to, to remove the mask and show here's who I really am. Here is who my, my true self is. It needs some work, and that's okay, because we are all in the same boat. We all have seen the dirty garages, and we all have seen the bedrooms with laundry on the floor. And we've all been into the laundry rooms that, that have that odor because you haven't changed the clothes since yesterday. It's kind of that, that true community aspect of this is who we really are. I'm not ashamed of this because every one of us have these same things. It's polished, but it's not real at times. Community is scary, and whenever I mentioned the thought of one up and one down, you probably thought of somebody, and that's probably as far as you're going to take it because it is scary. A lot of you probably had some anxiety within that with, oh, goodness, I now have to be responsible for, one, saying, hey, would you mind mentoring me? And two, finding somebody and saying, hey, let's grab a book. Let's go grab a coffee. Let's just start meeting together. There's probably anxiety within that. Let me say it again. It's worth it. Community is worth it. I can speak personally. My community group has, has been huge for me, for my wife as well. I can speak because I know her and she knows me. Our community has, has helped uh, in many avenues within us. It's helped to foster relationships. It's helped to strengthen us. There are many times after everybody leaves from our community group that, that Wendy and I have to sit there and say, hey, what do you really think about this? Because I think I'm terrible at that. And she's like, yeah, you are. And so there's growth that has to occur out of this. Whenever the excuses pour in for why we don't get into community, why we are afraid on the process of discipleship, stop. Take those thoughts captive. It is worth it. Church, I urge you, leave the old self, put on the new self, and grow in that new self in community. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, Father. I thank you, Lord, that you have revealed yourself to us through it. Father, I pray for myself and I pray for the people of Stone Oak, Lord, that we will be a church that is eagerly striving after you. Father, I pray that relationships will be formed, that bonds will be created, that discipleship will occur, Lord. Father, I pray for the leaders in this church, that they will not be ashamed, they will not be afraid, there will not be anxiety for saying, hey, come alongside and let's, 
Let's go together to the cross. Father, I pray for our community groups, the huge blessing that they have been to me. I pray for the leaders of these groups, Lord, and I pray that you would raise up more leaders, Father, and more groups, that we would be a church that is eagerly seeking after you, not only on a Sunday morning gathering, Lord, but throughout the week. We are a church who is, who is built upon striving after Christ. Father, it's, it's because of Christ that we stand before you, Lord. Thank you for his death upon the cross. I thank you, Lord, for uh, salvation, Father. It's in the precious name of Christ that we pray. Amen.